matter of a second to tell him I would, he picked the one city I would go with him. And it is this sermon this morning that is the reason why I gave up everything I had in Charlotte to come back to Dayton. It is because this part of Christ's local is what I feel Dayton has a great need for. And so as we think through this passage, one thing that was standing out to me was my approach is different than it's been for any other time this part has been taught in Christ local. So we've got recordings that I'll be accountable for how I present this differently than years past. For those of you that don't know, Christ local is something we do every single year to remind us of who we are. And this one has been preached many times before. Pastor Matt did it last year, and then before that, we weren't merged yet. We were in separate places. And so I look back over the past ones to prepare for this one, and what God had laid on my heart was very different than what I've ever heard from this section that we're covering today. But as I approached this, it reminded me of so many different areas in our life where we have different groupings. I mean, as I talk about teachers, there's things that uh, and different struggles that we're going through as an educator that's different than what we've ever encountered before. We exchange and talk about different things. As uh, Amanda was on her way in, I said, good luck on Tuesday, uh, because she starts teaching online Tuesday. I know what she's about to encounter because I was there three weeks ago or two weeks ago. And so, so many of us, we have our own little groupings, and then there's other people that like to be excluded. For example, many of us, because we're in Ohio, we feel obligated to be a fan of Ohio State football. However, if you're Adam McBee, you pick Michigan just to be different uh, and stand out. You say it's because of different reasons, but we really think it's just because you want to irritate us. We have other things that we follow too. Some people follow a professional football team or professional basketball team, and we talk about it. We have our places that we work with, and we have our people that we talk with that are a part of our work. And one thing that is unique as a bivocational elder is, one, yes, I'm not paid by anybody here. I'm paid by a school. But also, two, just like you, I work every day at a job with people that don't know Christ. And as we look at Ephesians, that is a thing that we need to remind ourselves of and is our main point this morning is we live as citizens, a dwelling place for God. When we are in those different places and functioning in those different things that we appreciate, are we focusing on what is making things people exclusive to our group? Or are we focusing on living as a citizen, a dwelling place for God? It's easy to get caught up in wanting to stand out, wanting to be different. But I think there's one thing we need to focus on is what unifies us. Because it's what unifies us as a local church that unifies us like nothing else in this world can. As we look at Ephesians, uh, we're going to get started in chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, Therefore... Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, at, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. As we focus on this, it's important to see the exclusion they're excluded because of 
We could say it's because they're Gentiles. They weren't a part of the promise of Abraham. They weren't included in on the Israelites, you know, God's people. But Christ came to establish something different. Christ came to establish that covenant that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so all those Abrahamic covenants, and not just all those Abrahamic covenants, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant and all those other covenants that are in the Old Testament, the Israelites are holding to as their identity. And we even see in the New Testament so many different times the Gentiles are coming to Jesus. They're attracted to Jesus. How many times have we read in the Old Testament before and seen a Gentile really zealous to get to know the Israelites other than just to conquer them? It's not very common. So why was it that Jesus made something different? What was it that made the Gentiles come to him? They had something You see, when we read Old Testament, we read about the Israelites of old. There was probably a reason why the Gentiles didn't really care much for them because they didn't see their God as active in their life. They saw Gentiles, or the Jews, acting almost just like them. But when Jesus came, they saw something different. And so they're reminded that they were Christless. But they were also foreigners. They weren't part of this this group of Jews, so they were feeling like they were out of place and they were hopeless and godless. Hopeless in a sense of how many times do we think of those things that we put our time and value in? We talk about them in different ways here at Refuge, but how do we process through those things that we put value in and time in? What is the return that we're hoping to get from that? So many times during this COVID, sent at home, I think Netflix had a new rise of people streaming and binging out on Netflix shows or other things and being at home. What was the main goal that they were striving for there? What were they putting their hope in? Alleviation from what was happening in the world and just diving into this series that they were watching? What was it they were diving into? So many times when we pursue other things, be it a job or be it a sport, We put hope in being the best in that sport or being the best at our job or some cases just being able to maintain that job to provide for our families. But in that, our hope is solely based on it delivering what we want from it. And is it a hope that lasts? When we focus at this passage, there's there's one thing that stood out to me. There's one that is part that is what Paul is saying to his audience, there's also another thing that is being said to us personally. But I think also what's important for us this morning is what does that mean for us as the church? And we'll get to those parts at the end. But as we focus on different things in life, there's different times when we feel excluded. We feel alienated. We feel not a part of the group. Sometimes when John starts talking about basketball, I'm just like, have fun. And just listening in as he talks about different players and, and all those different things. And, uh, and several other people, when you talk about college football or different designs of this and that and the other, I'm like, okay, I feel excluded. It's not that I'm feeling guilty excluded because all that information I don't want to put the time in to know, but I feel excluded from the conversation because I don't have anything to add. And there's so many times in our life where we feel excluded. And how do we approach those exclusions and respond to them? It's easy to just go in and go, well, I guess I'll just be excluded and walk away from it. 
But as we look at this, I think it's important for us to remember that we were separated from Christ. What was that like before you came to know Christ? Now, some of us might have accepted Christ at a young age, but others of us thought we did. I was six years old when I was baptized, uh, fairly shortly after my older brother was baptized. But if you would have asked me why I got baptized, it would have been because I prayed a prayer. And then as I looked back on it, as I became a teenager, I saw that I was not living for Christ. I was living for myself. And so I felt at that time excluded. I was not part of the family of God because I did not know Christ. And so at 17, just before I turned 18, I was at a summer camp and heard the gospel preached again. And that was the time when I responded. See, there were so many times that before Christ, if we reflect back on it, we can see where we struggled with self-worship, focusing on ourselves. Our relationships were exclusive so much in as it brought what I wanted out of it. But we see something different when we approach Christ. When we look at this, it's true reconciliation that Christ came to offer. When he died on the cross, it was to take that exclusion and bring us in. So as we look at our second point today, the reconciliation, let's start in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two by making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And through him, we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. Christ brought us peace. How many times do we try to pursue peace and we don't start with Christ? If we are pursuing peace and we're not starting with Christ, what result is that going to be? One way that I've seen this play out in more recent days, but also in all kinds of different times is when there is exclusion, we think the answer to it is become anti the exclusion. That's also based on a little bit more of hatred towards another people's perspective that would exclude others. And so we think the answer is turning anti instead of allowing Christ to bring peace in that, we think by adding more anti, let's not be that way, let's just change our motives, is going to miraculously change people's hearts apart from Christ. It is Christ that ultimately brings us peace. Because if we look at just one thing that has been the most, one of the most common things that has been talked about ever since the day I was born, is the color of our skin. And so many people turn it into a let's be anti-racism, and it's built more on hatred towards those people that might be racist, instead of approaching it with Christ-like peace? Why is there a struggle to accept that God has created every one of us and put value in every single one of us? Why is there such a dislike for people that might be different? Why do we want to exclude them? Is our answer just to be hurtful to you, or is it to try and understand you and bring peace and love? To allow Christ to be the cornerstone that says, that's why these people have value, because God says they have value. 
Not because being this way is, is wrong in and of itself, that is true, but it's wrong because of what Christ says. That is where true lasting peace comes from. Christ has made us one. When we think about that in so many different ways, we struggle to understand what does that mean, made us one? Well, if it is Christ that brought us peace by his blood on the cross and is dying for our sins, then it is Christ that unites us and makes us one. I've been a part of refuge ever since it was first started and ever since it was a thought in a pastor's head. And I've been a part of all the discussions that brought us all from different churches together from the very beginning, or at least I heard about them when John would have meetings with those pastors. But as I started learning of different people, the thing that I listened to the most was, do we have this unity in the gospel? Because that's what will make us one church for God's glory. So as we approach and we lean on these truths, do we truly believe that Christ preached peace? If we truly believe that Christ preached peace, our mouths should do the same. There's so many different ways in which we can communicate and give information exchanges and, and chat and, and interact with the world. Are our words that we choose to utter from our mouths going to be foolish like James talks about in his book, Who Can Tame the Tongue? Do we recognize that we need to be wise with our words and make sure what we're saying is bringing peace? Christ has given us access to God. We minimize this so often. As we approach our struggles, God feels more distant as we go through a struggle. Why? The reason why God might feel distant when you're in your struggle is you have given up hope that He is working in your struggle. When you're going through difficult times, it's that hope that you need to hold most tightly to so that you can remember the peace that Christ has brought us to so that you can see the unity that we have in faith so that you have the desire and the love to move forward in faith. As I've gone through various times in my life, one thing that has been said about me is that I am steadfast. And, and steadfastness does not come with ease. You've got to know God's Word. You've got to be in His Word. You've got to take those truths and tell them to yourself very often, all the time. We've got postcards around our mirror in our bathroom to kind of remind us of some of those truths in my house. And then there's also various times when I'm driving, I pull up our Spotify playlist just so I can be reminded of truths from that too. How often are we allowing our minds to be reminded and have those things ready so that when we are going through a difficult time, we're not struggling with hope because we're focusing on the truth according to me. We're focusing on the truth according to God. So many times when we are not at peace, it's because we're not holding on to the truths of God. And why is it that the truths of God should bring us peace? We've already said because it's what Christ preached. But it's also because of where we identify. What do we identify as? Sure, as I started, I identified myself as a teacher. 
I'm also a father, a husband, a, a middle son. Yes, I do fit that middle child syndrome to a T. John knows. But there's one identification that should matter to us above anything else. And Paul reminds us of that in verse 19. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Build on one foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole scripture is being joined together, grows into a holy temple into the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Is our identification that we are fellow citizens in God's kingdom. As we focus on our struggles that we go through day in, day out, do we see one truth about that struggle? This too shall pass. And there's a truth that we can hold on to that those will pass. It may be something that we have dealt with for years and it just never seems like it's going to go away. And we think the only answer to that is, God, would you let it just go? Well, sometimes the way that that could be let go, according to God, is for the second coming to happen and for us to go be with him. And God will do that when God does that. But I'm not waiting on God to say, okay, I'm done. Let's wipe this out. Let's do a new slate. I just need to be reminded that God is still moving. God is still working. That is an identity that I have, that his kingdom is coming. And as Paul is talking to them here, so we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens. When we feel far off, when we feel excluded, we need to remind ourselves that we are a part of God's family. And as a teacher to people that may not understand the right perspective on who God is, We need to remind ourselves that God the Father is God the Father in how a father should be. Some of us didn't have faithful dads. Some of us didn't have caring dads. Some of us did not have loving dads. We didn't have a dad that spent that much time with us. God is that right dad. Some of us didn't have a dad that maybe disciplined us in the way that we should have been. Some of us may have not had a father that talk to us and try to draw things out and let us know that he did care for us. But God is that father. Do we put our identification for God in what we've experienced here or in who who God calls himself to be? There was a message I did earlier this week for our REFCOM leaders, but it was on a faithful, our faithful direction to a faithful God. Are we faithful in our identification as fellow citizens? Do we see that Christ has made us members of God's family? Yes, I might have over a hundred relatives that are aunts, uncles, and cousins, just, you know, really close ones that we see all the time. And Sherry took many years to learn all their names. But the identification as far as a family member that matters the most to me It's God's family. Because God's family is even bigger than my extended family. There was something that was interesting to me as I was in North Carolina. Um, 
I went to Charlotte and John went to Raleigh. And every now and then on long weekends, because he was a server, I would typically drive up and visit him. And I got to meet some of the people at the church up there that I had not known at all. But yet, immediately, they felt like brothers and sisters to me. His pastors had only met me maybe about 10 times before the talk of going to plant a church with John came up. But I felt like anything they would have said, I would have respected as if they were my own pastor because of this family that we are a part of. There are so many different times when things have happened over this season where I've seen people that I've known, fellow brothers and sisters of mine that I've come to know over generations, their churches have to do various different things in order for them to meet. I've mentioned before that a friend of mine in in Charlotte, in Concord actually, has to meet in a drive-in movie theater because the school that they were in doesn't want them in there because of the COVID stuff. And so do we see us as one big family. If we truly grasp on to Christ has brought us peace, Christ has made us one, He has also made us one family. But then also, what has He made us one family to be? Verse 20, Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you are being built. We're being built. And so many times we focus on our own personal growth, we forget the word that comes after this. We focus on just trying to grow in our own faith and diving in the word and understanding God's word and asking people for insights onto our life. But what is the word that comes after that? Being built what? Together. How do we do this being built together if we are not one church? If we are not a local church? So when I hear of those things that you are struggling through, or you hear the things I'm struggling through, we know it as one. It could be just part of our culture right here in the Dayton area. Other people won't understand some of those struggles. They won't understand the struggle that my school goes through as a result of Delphi leaving the area. But many of you that are Dayton natives, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that I'm talking about my school struggle because a whole lot of jobs left the area. And what do those people have to do? It got tough. Some of you have heard of these different things, and you know things that are are cultural difficulties here in Dayton you know there's a river that goes right through downtown. And if you've paid attention, you know that it's kind of a dividing line. How do we approach being built together? I think that we need to elevate our concept of the local church by recognizing its gifts of grace. I know this is one thing I bring up often, but it's only because when I started becoming aware of this part, a gifts of grace, it changed my perspective and I realized how self-focused I was and unaware of how God was moving in everybody's life around me. In a, in a book, Habit, or not Habits of Grace, it, I'll, I'll put the title on Slack, I'm re- forgetting it right now, it's not in my outline. But in this book that I was reading, it re- reminded us that so many different times we can sit and we can make, just capture our attention by looking at a, a landscape or a mountainscape or a a bunch of trees changing in the fall. Or we could look at this and be awestruck by it. But how many times are we awestruck by what God is doing? And I think this morning we need to be in awe of what God is doing 
in the local church. We need to recognize the gift of grace of gathering corporately. How many of us have felt that in the last couple months? Gathering corporately to stir one another up faith to faith and good works. That comes from Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. If you miss some of these references, I'll post that on Slack too later. But to gather corporately, do we realize that this is the gift of grace, being able to come to this building and be together? To be able to interact with each other that little bit of time before service, a little bit of time after service? Do we see that as the grace of God at work? Do you know what one of your elders, two of your elders had to go through just to be able to get us here? And the whole time that we were still doing those recordings, there were elders trying to figure out where we could meet because ABP wasn't working out. And you may not even know what elder I'm talking about, but that elder worked hard to get us to this room. That's the gift of God's grace working in your elder so that we can appreciate the gift of God's grace of worshiping corporately. We need to recognize the gift of grace and love one another as Christ loved us. John 13, 34-35. Love one another as Christ loved us. One thing that has become one of those things I just regularly check myself on as, as refuge grows. Yes, refuge as a small number, I knew everybody. I definitely knew everybody's name. I knew all the kids' names. But as refuge has grown, I don't know everybody's name. And I try. But I hope that there's not one second that you doubt that if anybody were to call me and want to talk or hang out or something like that, I would definitely strive to make that happen because I love you as a fellow brother and sister, as a part of our family. Do we love one another as Christ loved us? Those people that come in are military people. We know they're going to be here for a few years and go, but do we love them as that they've been family and been here for a long time? We've been a part of different churches and we join together. Do we love one another like we are one church now? Or do we love as if you're a former that church person? No, we are one church. Do we appreciate the grace of God in that? Do we recognize the gift of grace to carry one another's burdens? Galatians 6.2 There are some of us, we carry burdens not as any aspect of any of our own sin. It's been brought to our own doorstep. It's been brought to our own lives. There was nothing we did to provoke it, but we have this burden in front of us? Do we as a body, as a family, as a local church, come behind that person to encourage them, to pray for them, to care for them, but also carrying one another's burdens? Some of you have done that in the way you've cared for. Uh, Matt, is, is, he wrecked and Sarah with some extra help with the kids and things around the house. Do we bear that burden or do we put it all on them? With Amy being at home with Naomi and the kids, do we put that burden solely on the popes or do we carry that burden too? There's other things that are going on in here. Are we aware of those things and are we willing to be grace to that person? That is why we are a local church. Do we recognize the gift of grace to encourage one another and to be encouraged by another? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 
There are so many times when going through difficult times, the most impressing thing to me is to just be encouraged with words. There's a guy I used to work with where Greg and my wife work that sends me, used to send me every day. You might need to tell him, Mr. G, to get on it and send me a daily. He sends me a text like every morning that includes a passage. And sometimes that passage is the most encouraging thing I hear that day because it's not just from me spending my time in the Word. That's coming from a fellow saint. Yes, I do appreciate my personal time in the Word, but I appreciate those words of encouragement from other believers. Do we take that time to encourage others? And do we recognize that as God's grace? We need to recognize the grace to be taught and admonished by one another. Colossians 3.16 That's one benefit of coming together corporately is that we want to get to know each other a little bit more deeply We might follow each other on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever else is out there, Snapchat and stuff. We don't follow it to to hound on each other, but we follow it so that we can encourage each other and also be a messenger of this peace. Do we allow ourselves to be corrected, to have our sin point out to, to us and accept it? Do we struggle with humility in accepting that, yeah, I'm still a sinner in need of grace? Do we recognize the gift of grace uh, to be allowed the privilege to give financially to further the gospel? 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. By us coming together and giving our money to the church, we have some men that don't have to go other jobs. Their focus can be on applying the word, teaching us the word, counseling us in our difficulties, Counseling other people that may not be a part of refuge quite yet. Building those relationships with churches in the other area. Is that furthering the gospel? Yes. Also, is some of that going towards a possible church plant that's coming up? Yes. Is it going towards other areas to be a privilege to just further the gospel? And do we see that as a gift of grace? We need to recognize the gift of grace to come to the table for communion. And I did not time that knowing we'd have it this morning. But isn't that a gift of grace to be able to take this together? It was written down, and when I saw that, I was like, yay, it's in the sermon. Um, But it's a gift of grace. I have missed taking communion with people since, what was that, March? It's been a long time. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking of wrapping this up soon so we can get to that. But, you know, it'll come. But just being able to be reminded that we are a part of one family, that we take this meal together to remind ourselves of the gospel. That is God's grace to us. We need to recognize the gift of grace that all of us has come via the cross work of Jesus Christ and has brought us near and made us one. As we come together, do we see the gift of grace that we can be to this city? You come from your work. I come from my work. They come from their work. We all come together to do what? To worship our God. To help identify areas in which we're struggling. Where we might be putting false hopes. Where we can have a God-centered hope. And then what? We go back out. Do we go out in fear? Or do we go out knowing that which excluded us? We know 
how to reconcile that so people can have a new identity. In our places of work, in our places that we live, the people that are we are around, are we so much burdened by the exclusion they, they have by not being a part of the kingdom of God that we would seek to try and help them understand how they can become reconciled with God and develop that new identity? Or do we just focus on going to work, getting our paycheck, and going home? I work as a teacher, and some of you would say, won't you lose your job by sharing that stuff? No, because I put my time in learning what I am allowed to do, and you know what? They'll always warn me to stop. But there wasn't a time when I taught evolution that I didn't first mention that there's a whole lot of discrepancies about this. This is a theory. Some people are like, well, weren't you worried about it? No, I was more worried about being true to my God. Yes, I'm true to my employer because I'm allowed to say it. I'm allowed to say this is a theory. Some of us, the problem is that we have in our workplaces is that we are just too scared. We're working on the approval of man and we don't even identify it as a sin in our own life. Do we take that which we should find as our deepest identity and apply to every aspect of our life? Are we afraid to? Do your neighbors know that you are a part of this local body, that you are a follower of Christ, that you have a new identity because it is more and has created such a vibrance in your soul that you can't help but let it out? There's not a person on my block that doesn't know that. There's things that we do as a family to reach out to that, to reach out to them. There's not a person at my work that doesn't know that. Because my deepest identity isn't in being a teacher. My deepest identity is not in being a nice neighbor. My identity is in Christ. And we come together to build each other up in love to go out. Do we recognize that as God's grace? And to further our main point, we live as citizens being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do we truly grasp that? Do we truly understand what it means to be built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit? Yes, that takes our own personal work and our own personal time in the Word, but it also takes some time with your brothers and sisters right here. Do we focus on just those other people that we know that are our followers of Christ outside of here? Or do we see that we come together as one family because we're going to work through those struggles? We're going to work through what makes it difficult for us. We're going to work through, how do I approach this? We're going to work through that with you. And at the end of the day, we're still going to love you. Because as we focus on the gospel, that's what we identify with. That's what we grow with. And as the band comes back up and we wrap this up, I pray that we would not forget those things this morning, that we are a local church, we are a refuge church, so that we can be built together for the furtherance of the gospel. Not just where we live, but in the rest of the world that we would remember these gifts of grace. Let us pray. God, I thank you for this time that you've given us this morning. I thank you for um, businesses that can get us a shipment of communion so we can take that today. It's been a long time since we've been able to enjoy that together. 
but may we be reminded of your grace at work among us. I thank you for those people that have skill with music that I never had to be able to lead us in worship. And I thank you for the time that they have put in that. I thank you for the the way you have knitted each and every person together in this church so that we can focus on being a witness to the people in this area. That we can learn to attack those sins that would divide us from you and and have us being more prideful and self-focused that you have given us brothers and sisters here to help drive us into a deeper relationship with you. I pray this morning that we would be reminded of why we are Refuge Church and why we choose to be a part of a local church. In your son's name we pray. Amen.